Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 Podcast. Thank you all for continuing to tune in. Uh, If you haven't already, please be sure to hit subscribe, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. uh, And if you have it in your heart, uh, please drop a review. It definitely helps us continue to grow the show. Uh, Today, I am joined by Merjen. Merjen is from Turkmenistan. And the past 10 years, she's been living in the United States. She came to the US in December of 2013 as a full-time scholarship holder to Moberly Area Community College in Missouri. She received her full scholarship from Prep for Success program that is granted by American Councils for International Education. She was one of the hardest working and the luckiest students who were able to earn a scholarship and get out of Turkmenistan. Then in 2017, she was able to receive a full scholarship from Missouri Southern State University to pursue her bachelor's in business management in 2019. The scholarship program was established by John and Nancy Richardson's during her college year, she's received academic honors and graduated with a couple of achievement, achievements on leadership and service. After college, Mergen started her career in luxury automotive industry in Beverly Hills. Then she works in the high-end jewelry manufacturing. And at this moment, she's pursuing a move into New York City real estate. Mergen speaks three languages, Turkmen, Russian, and English. And on her free time, she likes to do outdoor activities, including yoga and meeting and connecting with other awesome people. Mergen, thank you so much for joining me today. Honestly, thank you very, very much to, for allowing me to be here. So I so, really, really appreciate that. So we had met about a month ago now um, at an event uh, out in the Hamptons. And you immediately struck my wife uh, with the way that um, you were just engaging with her uh, over over just selling, selling jewelry, to be honest. <laughs> there was something unique about the way that you approached her and, um, and the way that you kind of handled yourself. There was no you were very relatable, number one. But number two, it was clear that as much as you wanted to probably make a sale, you really wanted what was best for your customer. Yeah. Uh, and and that really stood out about you. And then in speaking to you further, um, I learned that you're a lot more than just someone who sells jewelry. And <laughs> immediately, it dawned on me that I needed to bring you on to this podcast. Um, and so the first thing... Um, that I want to ask you is, um, you know, you had mentioned to me your background from Turkmenistan. And um, to your point, not a lot of people here, including myself, when we first met, knew much about where Turkmenistan was, probably couldn't point it out on a map if if we had to. Um, And furthermore, we don't know much about uh, what goes on inside the country. Uh, Can you just give us a little bit of background with regards to where you're from? Yes. Um, well, I'm from Turkmenistan. It's a Central Asia. One of those people say here in America, like a, one of those Istan countries. But I wanted, I always let people know that like the word Istan means a land in one of those old languages, which I don't know exactly. 
but um, and Turkmen means my nation. So I'm Turkmen by nationality and by ethnicity, and also Istanbul land. So it's land of Turkmen, land of Afghans, land of uh, Kyrgyz. You know, um, and uh, my ge- geographically, we're located north of Iran. So I'm like uh, maybe two three hours away from Iran, like Tehran. We can go through the uh, mountains and everything. Um, where I grew up, it's a very beautiful place. We have mountains, we're 70% desert, you know, and we have Caspian Sea, which is biggest lake, I think, in geographically. Um, and growing up there was one of the, I'm grateful. It was one of the coolest uh, things. Uh, it's always, summer starts in the middle of April. <laughs> it ends in the uh, middle of October. Um, but then we have a little bit of fall and a little bit of, little bit of uh, spring and then a little bit of winter. Right. So, yeah. Um, uh, you know, there, there's something that really kind of stood out when I first met you because um, I could tell that despite the fact that um, you were very happy to be here um, and, you know, right away, you kind of gave me some background with regards to uh, the journey to make it to the States. Um, I feel like a big part of your heart is still um in Turkmenistan and um, l- l- let's dive into that a little bit um and, and kind of walk people through the journey uh of um when exactly you you left um and some of the circumstances you left under yeah my heart is still in there because of my family there so I haven't seen my family for 10 years since I left a home uh now my home is in the United States but of course I am from Turkmenistan and um I truly appreciate my culture that I grow up in. I truly appreciate my people, my food, my celebrations. You know, it's a beautiful country, a beautiful nation. But um, because of some uh, circumstances, it's impossible for me to see my family at this moment. And I left first time I left home when I was uh, 18, 2011 in August, I think. Yes, that's when I left. And that's when my dad was able to pay for my school. You know, I didn't even think about scholarship. He was well off. You know, he he was able to afford my living in my school here in the U.S. I went to uh, Georgia, uh, Valdosta State University for a year to learn English. And then sometime in May or June, I believe, in 2012, after like nine, ten months, I get a call from my parents saying, you got to come back, you know, and I couldn't understand what's happening. And they were like, you just have to come back. Your dad is in the hospital, you know, hospital, you have to come back. And I was like, okay. So I had to buy a ticket. I had to stop go schooling. And I came back to Turkmenistan. Thank luckily and thankfully my dad wasn't in the hospital, but because of uh, the, how to say it, uh, the pressure he had to go through uh by our um internal government because i was in the united states and because my family is connected with the government level officials you know like they are in government level officials if i say my last name people usually know my last name over there um my dad had a pressure to um stop his business uh, and just turn into bankruptcy and he just had to stop working um and in order to save family you know so I had to go b- come back. Um, I think I get got back like June 17th in 2012. Um, and then I got back, you know, first three, four months were hardest for me because I was going through reverse culture shock. Mm. And I just keep understanding that I was like, I don't belong here. Like I just like mentally, I don't belong here because I'm like as a person, 
as a woman, you know, like I want to achieve things. Like I want to do things. My parents raised me to be ambitious. My parents raised me to be independent. My parents raised me to see the world and become successful, like do whatever I want to do. They really like encouraged me since I was four or five years old. I hated sleeping, taking nap in the middle of the days when I was little. So they would actually get a tutor in English language and they would ask me to like to study during my uh, nap times in the kindergarten times. Uh, they gave me to special school when I was growing up, you know, to specifically, I think my uh, age of six, like preschool, like in the United States, we also had that international schools. They gave me to American or English speaking school where everything was in English, you know, so they really invested on me when I was growing up. And um, so when I get, got back in 2012, I couldn't understand. I was like, wait, like, even though I've been in U.S. for a whole, like, less than a year, I still saw the difference of opportunities you know and i saw the freedom of like being myself you know i could wear what i want to wear like i could be myself i can still be that bubbly happy person because back there back home as a traditional turkmen woman you have to be in these walls you know like you have to act a certain way you have to dress up a certain way in order it's like a shame and honor culture so you have to be uh following and be respectful towards your parents if i do something wrong then it's going to be my dad's honor goes down, you know, my dad's respect in, in among people goes down. So I got back and it took me three, four months, you know, and I quietly started applying for scholarships. And then I had friends, like all of my friends at the age of 15 or 16, my parents took me to American consuls there uh, in Ashgabat, where that's where I'm from. And um, all the students, all the kids who had same goals like I do, and they all speak like five languages, six languages, very smart kids, you know, and I was like a C-level among them. And um, they were my friends because they wanted to go abroad. They wanted to do something in their lives. They wanted to achieve stuff. And so we all had the same mindset. So when I came back, I had the same friends. Uh, some of them were also left, of course, like country because of the scholarship program opened up. Um, and when I came back, my friends were like, all right, here's a scholarship program. You got to apply. I got a mentor there and uh, in the American consul. So for like three, four, five months, I was studying the program because it was preparing us for TOEFL and SAT classes, uh, courses uh, for to get into admissions. Once you, uh, once you pass the test, then you have to apply, you know, all this. It takes a year, basically two years, maybe a year and a half for international students to come to the United States, especially from my country. And um, so I was doing that. Meanwhile, like I got a, a job offer from American consuls uh, to work as a, I think it was receptionist slash assistant for a different program assistant. So that helped me a lot to save up some money, you know. And while I was doing that, my dad, of course, in my culture, like the dad has to take care of their daughter until she gets married. Once she gets married, the husband takes care of her, you know. Mm. So my dad was very against that I would come to United States. He did not. He wanted me to be successful, but he wanted me to wait until he figured things out, you know, with on his own side. And me being stubborn, <laughs> and uh, my mom with my mom's help, you know, she was able to push me and help me, support me, saying go do it, you know. And because back home we live out with our parents, so I don't have to pay for food, nothing, you know. So all the money that I was. Um, making i was saving it uh I, I would just give it to my mom and she would just take it to the bank you know she, she would save it 
And then after that, like uh, I then by the when time came for me to apply for scholarship, I had to leave um, get uh, leave the job because you ha- it cannot be part of the American consuls when you apply for a scholarship. But whenever I left that job, then uh, my name was so well known in the international world, and especially American consuls, U.S. embassy, because it was part of the U.S. embassy plus with them. United Nations, these three organizations were able to get me a job as a translator in many different events. And I was also event planner. So I was helping them to make events on a government level event. And they were like, that was the best time of my life, I will be honest, because I was working with my friends, I was having fun. But at the same time, I I had so much drive and I had that motivation to get out of the country, but I had to be so smart about it, you know, because I speak three languages, like I would usually go and ahead of the time and make sure we get the best furniture because if you're an American there, like they wouldn't just, you know, they don't really give you a lot of things, right? You know, so I would go uh, and I would always like talk to my people. I would talk in Russian, English, you know, organize things. And that's how I met my American family, my host family that John and Nancy Richardson, which it's my second family. I'm so blessed with them. Um, I can't even imagine how I will be here without them right now. Mm. And so I was doing those things, but in the middle, I would usually like uh, people in, I don't know, black uniforms, you know, like yeah. in, in uniforms, men in uniforms, they would be like, come here, you know, and I would huh. come to them and they're like, what are you doing uh, in Turkmen language? And I'm like, what do you mean what I'm doing? And they were like, what are you, why are you working with Americans? Well, what are mm. you, are you trying to get out of this country? Why, what are you doing? Mm. And so I had to be smart about it and be like, no. I'm not, yes, I'm working with Americans. Yes, I am here. Well, you know why? So I'm representing our nation. I'm representing Turkmen, Turkmenistan. Like I am who I am because of you guys. So we have to represent this, you know. So I had to speak speak in a national nationalistic uh, way. Is that right. correct? Yeah. yeah. And they would let me go, you know. <laughs> uh, but then I think in 2013, sometime in October, I believe, um, after all the events were gone and everything, you know, done, October or November, they started like investigating my family. You know, mm. like we start hearing phone calls. Let me pause you really quick uh-huh. because you gave a lot of very good information. <laughs> and I want to make sure that the audience understands um, the political landscape in Turkmenistan. Can you give us just a breakdown in terms of uh, what kind of government is it? Um, and, um, you know, you mentioned even the expectations about being a woman living in a box. And um, I remember when we spoke before this, I asked you, you know, is that because of religious influence? And, and you had mentioned to me, not necessarily. So can you just mm-hmm. so the listeners get an understanding here, give us a little bit of insight into what the Turkmenistan yeah. government um is and uh where the influences come from mm-hmm. sure um so um basically we were part of the ussr and uh, ussr until 1991 i believe that's when the ussr uh, broke down and until then we didn't have a religion we didn't have anything it was uh clearly once uh once russia got us you know um we lost our religion we lost our culture basically we were we had everything what USSR told us to do. Mm. Then we got our independence in 1991, I believe. And then um, uh, we got our neutral, neutral. we became neutral country, I think third country in the world in 1995. And 
after that, we started, uh, our government started, which was a great thing, you know, like we started developing our native language, we started developing our culture back, but but we never became like Islamic State or anything. We're, we consider ourselves as a, a culturally Muslim, you know, mm-hmm. because back home we have Christians, we have Jew- Jewish, you know, we have some, there's not a lot of population, but we do have some Buddhism there too as well. Mm-hmm. So we'll have like a lot of different religions and different beliefs, and it's very open it used to be a very open country when I was growing up. Mm. That's why I speak Russian, because there was more mainly a Russian-speaking country. But then when government took power over um, the whole country, uh, from uh, de- de- democracy, it turned out to be dictatorship. You know, So now it's been, since we got our independence, we have been under the dictatorship. It wasn't that bad until like 2000, probably four or five. That's when everything started to go down for us. And that's when I was growing up in Turkmenistan as well. Um, and uh, growing up there, was um, we still had some culture there. We still had some uh, uh, out, outside, outer, what's that? Well, how do you call it? Like outer world uh, um, influence. influence. You know, we still had some, like our world was open, you know, my parents were yeah. able to teach me education in English, you know, they were able sure. to uh, do many things, you know, we had, we always had international people in our house because my dad worked, like his business was internationally done. Yeah. And um, so our world was open up always, you know, but then w- later on, like it stopped. So a lot of people were kicked out. A lot of people were, I mean, I should be careful what I say, but <laughs> you know, my um, still my family's still there. Um, so it became very dictatorship, basically. Like you can't okay. leave the country. You weren't able to leave the country. Like for me to leave the country took me a while. Like you know, for my brother to leave the country took me a while. Uh, it, it took him a while. Um, so people live under regime there. So you know. let me let me ask you a follow up question to that. Now that you've been um, stateside for the last ten years, and and you see the way that the media runs over here, and when you see the way that the media talks about certain nations um, under duress, um, you know, do you sometimes think to yourself, uh, "Man, like that? There are so many countries out there that the U.S. media just completely ignores, and they have no idea that." Mm-hmm. Uh, a country like mine is just as bad as you know one of the other nations that perhaps continues to get U.S. mainstream media, and maybe can, that's because of like nuclear powers, and then that would make a difference. <laughs> no, but... there's nothing to do with nuclear power. I don't think I wouldn't say that media is ignoring it. Yeah, honestly, uh, it's not about ignoring. It's just about not being able to get into it. The government, yeah. the country is so closed. Like you have to be, you get filtered so much in order to get into the country. Like not everybody gets a visa to get into my country. Like you have to be like going through so much in order to get there. So I wouldn't say it's being ignored. It's just like, it's just covered, you know, it's closed. Like you can't, you can't know anything about it. Like basically what I, the way I explain to people, I'm like, you hear about North Korea, you hear, but you don't hear anything about Turkmenistan. Yeah. It's the same thing, you know? Yeah. So. So it's not about outside world. It's about inside world. Like, and um, I mean, there's a lot of talks about it. I mean, I get emotional about it, you know, because I'm like, I wish we had a chance to go back and just like get everything well done, you know, like give the opportunities for kids because opportunities I received, you know, I'm very grateful for it. But unfortunately, I can't do it right now. And I will, it's, it is what it is, you know. 
there's there's a lot to unload here. Um, and you know, I, I want to make sure that um, we touch on as much as possible with regards to this recording. You had mentioned earlier uh, the phone call that you got about your dad, and and you know, you got back and. Um, that was more of government intervention at that point because you had gone to the States. Can you talk a little bit more around um, really the influence uh, and how easily um, you know, the government or the, the ruling body could dictate uh, your family's lifestyle? Not just your family. So we'll keep it more general. Anybody. The family of anyone within the country. Oh, Bishai, <laughs> I have to be so careful what I yeah. say. I still have family there. Uh, it's, and if this I is not a good question, I could rephrase. I would love to respond to this question. I will be honest. Like, there's yeah. so much to talk about it. Yeah. And my heart is with it, but I will not. I think we'll have to pass this question. I'm sorry that, about that. That's totally fine. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned to me. Um, at some point, there was uh, a notion of a potential arranged marriage for you. Uh, yes. <laughs> let's touch on we can that. talk let's about that. <laughs> let's touch on that story and give some background there. <laughs> yes. So um, when I turned 17, I think, um, and I, my parents were like, my dad was very protective over me, you know, like growing up, like he never allowed me to wear Turkmen dress. Like, even though I knew how to cook clean, you know, you as a traditional woman, you have to know make sure to please your mother-in-law, please your husband, you know, to, with cooking and everything. Even though I knew everything else, like my parents never bragged about it, saying, oh, our daughter knows how to cook. She knows how to do these things. They always said, oh, she's all busy with schooling. She's a tomboy, you know. They protected me so well growing up from the cultural expectations, even though I knew those things. And um, so I think at the age of 16 or 17, I went to a couple of weddings with my mom. And, uh, in the, and that's where the, all the moms and the sons see the girls, potential wives, you know, like that's how you look for it. So two of my mom's friends asked my hand, like they came, I haven't even graduated the high school, but I remember that. And uh, they came different times. They didn't even know each other, you know, anything. So they came to my asking my, my hand for my parents, you know, I had no idea. So one day I'm coming back, you know, like after school, like myself and my parents are like very sad and my dad was like a little angry, you know, and I was like, what's happening? I never seen you guys like that. And they were like, sit down, we have to talk. I was like, okay. <laughs> so they were like, okay. So there's like two families asking your hand and they're like, growing up, you always wanted to live abroad. So these two boys, the moms, their, their moms tell us that the two boys are living abroad. One is in Moscow, I believe. I don't remember now exactly. One was also somewhere in Europe, probably London or something like that. And she was, they were like, so you'll be able to get married and live abroad. Like that's your dream is going to come true. But there was like, they were like, you will have to follow their traditional beliefs, mm. whatever they say, mm. you know, like you will have to listen and follow your husband's guidelines, you know, they're because they're very traditional families. And I was like, okay. I'm like, okay, go on. And they were like, but there's also another, and my dad didn't even stop me. He's like, there's a second choice for you. You can say no, but become a, who you want to become. Go travel the world, do your thing, and be yourself. But we will be able to help you out with a little bit, not too yeah. much. You're going to be on your own. And my parents knew it by then that I will be on my own. You know, they were like, yeah. you, we will not be by your side, holding your hand and showing you around. You will have to be on your own. 
And before I even responded, and my dad was like, okay. And my mom, both of them, they're like, all right, don't say anything right now. Go to your room, take three hours or three days. It's up to you. And then get back to us and mm-hmm. let, let us know what you want, you know? I mean, I was like, okay. So I listened to them, you know, and back home, like, we have to listen to parents, whatever they say. Yeah. So I went to my room and I'm like, the hell like what is this happening like no i don't want to be married i mean i want to be married one day but not now so i went back and i was like guys i'm like i'm not getting married why are you asking me this question even like you didn't raise me for like that so and i remember the joy of laughter i heard from my parents and they were so happy (laughs) they gave me money they were like go to the shopping center Mm. get yourself more new jeans and shorts you know Mm. do your thing uh, but then that time, my dad took a promise from me. He was like, then I have to ask you a promise. He's like, if you're not going to get married now and you're going to be on your own until you graduate your high uh, university, you get your degree, you're not going to get married. Mm. You know, he was like, he was like, I want you to stay focused. Mm. And that's when I gave my promise to my dad saying, okay, like I will do my, I give my word. You give my word to protect me, you know, from that. And from then, like that happened. but. That was a really funny moment. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for my parents giving me this choice because my cousins, for example, they didn't have this choice. Like they had to get married if they were asked out. Of course, like some of my cousins got married with um, with the guy they chose, like yeah. the partner they chose. But, um, but it wasn't, some of them had to go through the arranged marriage. So it was de- like, you know, it depends on the families, uncles and aunts they chose for their children. So just so for contextual sake, how old yeah. were you approximately when this 17. happened? You were 17. Maybe, yeah. Got I it. Think, yeah. So yeah. for the listeners out there, right? The idea of an arranged marriage is very much alive. Um, and it's something that Mergen is, is, is suggesting uh, not only was brought to her, uh, but was brought to other members of, of her family. And, you know, fortunately... Or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, um, you know, it, it worked out in the way that you had uh, wanted, and thankfully, your parents were supportive of that. Yeah, um, very thankful. Is there uh, situations within the culture where the girls really have no choice? It sounded like that does happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, depends and, on the. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. It depends on the families, you know, like, so basically power back home basically divides into three in my head. And this is my observation divides into three categories. There's a category number one. It's very traditional, like super traditional families where girls wear long dresses, clothes, you know, like um, very like no voice, you know, only yeses. There is no nose. And then then. There's a second category where they're half modern, half traditional, which I, I grew up in that family where my mom was traditional and my dad was like modern, like open-minded. I wouldn't say modern, like more of open, oh, modern, open-minded, you know. Yeah. And then there is like a third category where my friends are belong. My All of my friends, they all grew up in a very open-minded families where yeah. their parents allowed them 24-7 freedom. Yeah. You know, so um, I, even though my mom and dad I'm so grateful that my dad grew up in Russia when he was little. That's helped him to stay open-minded, you know, so that, and my mom was also wanted me to be successful and she wanted me to see the world because she couldn't see it because she had, she lost her dad early age and she had to take care of the family with her mom and everything. So she wanted me to 
go and do things because she couldn't do it. But at the same time, uh, she was more of like a traditional view. Like she helped me to learn and appreciate the traditions. And then my uncles and aunts, like the same family, you know, same kids, but they're more traditional, more um, super ground level, hardcore traditions, you know. How much does wealth play a role in all of this? Meaning that uh, when you think about it from even like a an arranged marriage perspective, um, do you ever see people marrying up in terms of wealth? You know, or is that common? And is it, for instance, forbidden to kind mm-hmm. of cross wealth wealth lines? Oh, you mean the classes? Yeah, um, I don't see any classes there. I think the as long as the woman, the girl, is from a good family where the father and mom is there, they have a big respect in the uh, in the whole era, city, town, whatever the girl is yeah. from. Uh, if she's from a well-respected family, which I was, like both of my parents, you know, from a very well-known families, and um, and as long as she doesn't, she has a good reputation among people. Basically, the less they know about you, better for you as a girl. You know, in which I was like, my parents raised me so like in a bubble that mm. people didn't know much about me. Everybody knew my parents had a daughter, mm. but they had no idea how I looked like, mm. you know. Um, so like that, you know. So when those two pe- families came, they were like, oh, we've been friends for a while, but not just we're friends, but because of your reputation, because everybody wants to have a good girl, you know, good girl to their home. Yeah. So she could listen and be respectful, you know, to mother-in-law and everything. Got it. Got it. So I don't think it's a wealth much. It's more of a reputation. Got it. You know, the reason why I'm kind of pressing on this portion of your story is because you had shared with me um, mm-hmm. a couple of pages of of the book that, you know, you dream of writing one day. Um, yeah. And one of the uh, comments that I wrote down, you know, that you had mentioned to me is that, very few, if any, of the women that you're surrounded by are truly happy uh, within their lives and within themselves. And um, you touch on the fact that uh, abuse is something that um, has, you know, kind of taken a normalcy uh, and something that you've seen lots of and has just been kind of culturally maybe swept under the rug. Um, and, you know, I want to dive into that a little bit. Because as as you know, you know, like the premise of the show here is to really kind of touch on those moments in life or those experiences that we come across, those uh, parts of our journey that really cause a lot of reflection and learning um, and propel us forward. Um, and then we'll we'll come back to um, some of the things that you're doing here. So let's talk a little bit about. Mm-hmm. This book, and and for the context okay. <laughs> of the, for, the, for the context of the audience, uh, when uh, Mergen and I met, uh, she had found out that I had published Break Barriers, and she had mentioned to me casually that she wanted to write a book herself. Um, and then we um, got to talking about this episode, and and she had shared with me a little bit of the manuscript around the book, and I had reviewed it, and it's it's pretty dark. <laughs> I'm not gonna it is. lie. <laughs> Uh, I, I did not see that. Dark. I did not see that coming when we first met. Um, and I, I want to ask you first and foremost: uh, Do you feel a responsibility to share this, this, this yeah. part of your journey? Um, of course. And and if so, like, what spurred it? Was it being here over the last ten years and and maybe really reflecting on the, um, 
the the level of freedom that you see here and i'll let you kind of pick up and 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 before i kind of just make assumptions here <laughs> i'm really excited to share about this because i think like i i'm getting closer to my mission and this why why i came to this world you know and the more and more i'm learning about it the more i'm like oh my god like i do want to help the women and children and men eventually to open their mind and say like hey you are like this is your life and you're the only one who decides how to live this life you know because I'm so grateful. Like, I don't know how, but I think I'm the only one from my family, uh, from my, uh, like my parents and their brothers and sisters and my grandparents is the only one who broke the barrier and actually left, you know, I mean, I yeah, use I the barrier. Say, because I, right I, there, appreci- yeah. I appreciate that right there. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'm the one who actually broke through and I said, you know what, if you guys, I'm leaving, you know, I don't care whatever you want, you know, and I'm so grateful for that. I mean, my parents raised that inside of me, you know, and I have that fire inside of me who helps. And I really hope one day I will be able to push, give that whatever the blessings that I have received. I hope I will be able to influence other young people saying, or even older people like saying, Hey, like open up your mind So about my family. I mean, there's a lot like, but in 2016 or 17, that's when I started writing that. And when I sat down in one sit- sat- sitting, I sat down and wrote all the stories from my memory, like about my aunts, about every woman in my family, including my mother, you know, hmm. and both of my grandparents, grandmothers, like from both sides, you know, they were, uh, it was arranged marriage, you know, uh, my dad's side, she was sold because she was orphaned because she lost her mo- dad during the World War II. And then uh, her mother, I think, left or some. Maybe she also le- lost. I don't remember the whole story right now, but she was orphaned, basically. And she was given to my grandfather because my grandfather was from a very well uh, wealthy family. Not wealthy family, but well, um, what is that called? Well-educated, good uh-huh. family. You well-to-do, know? Yeah. Class. yeah. well-to-do family, yeah. Uh, and my grandfather was a lawyer, you know, so he was studying. She, he was in the city. She was from a small town and... Uh, state called Dasha goes, you know, so she was given to him. Uh, and she had, she had to stay with my grandfather, even though I remember growing up, like she wasn't, she wasn't happy with him much. You know, she's not a happy woman. Um, knowing, remembering that same thing with my grandmother who raised me, um, my mom's mom, uh, she was also from small town. She was given to my grand uh, grandfather, um, and he was abusing her, you know, he was abusing her. He, they had five kids together, but he was abusing her. He was, he was struggling with alcohol, alcoholism, you know, especially during Soviet Union, it was normal. Sure. Uh, yeah. And he he had a, another woman in his life, you know, like he was not faithful to his wife. So he had to go through that at the age of young age in her twenties, because I think, because I think she had her, my mom at the age of 20 or 21, like pretty early, which is normal in my country. Once you graduate the high school, you have to get married. And uh, if you pass 23, 24, you were old, old, mm. old, what is that called? Old lady? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm considered old lady. <laughs> Anyways. Um, um, yeah, so they were not happy. And they, growing up, my aunts and uncles saw the abuse. You know, what... What growing up, if you seeing that normal, that's what you think it is normal. So they get into abusive relationships and they abuse themselves. You know, like one of my uh, uncles, like 
he would beat shit out of his wife, you know? Um, the things that he would done to her, like, and growing up, my mom was on the phone with them, you know? He even bought, uh, um, what is that called? He, he abused my grandmother, his own mom. So my mom actually had to buy a play, new place and uh, take my grandmother away to another mm. apartment, you know, like to other, another home. And in our culture, like usually the son takes care of the parents. Mm. The oldest, youngest doesn't matter, you know. But because the youngest uncle was in, living in a different city, different state, our oldest uncle had to take care of my grandmother. My grandmother got that house, like the house that he was living and raising his kids. It was my grandmother's place. You oh, know? wow. And he kicked her out, he beat her out, you know, like in everything else. And he has three daughters growing up. And those girls are like amazing girls, you know. But because of their father, at the age of six, four, and two, can you imagine in like winter, minus uh, zero degree in Celsius, you know, uh, which is, I think, in Fahrenheit 32 or 28? 32, uh, zero is 32. Yeah, uh, 32 degrees. And you're sitting outside because your dad is going crazy in the house. And the whole night until 4 a.m. until he falls asleep, you're sitting outside waiting for your dad to go calm down, you know. Mm. And knowing that was not good, you know, like growing up on that abuse. Um, my other aunt, you know, like she, all of my, basically all the women in my family, they they were abused. They were cheated on, you know. One of my aunts was, she was pregnant, I think three, four months. And her husband came in and he beat her to her stomach, like where the baby is. And she ended up losing the child, you know. So my mom, my mom was always the savior. She's the oldest child. She was the savior of the whole mess, you know. So she had to take her to the hospital. Like, I mean, she was in the hospital and then she had to take her out and make her divorce. And when my aunt, before she lost her child, she went home, back to her home, her parents' home where my uncles were there and my grandma and she went and she was like hey like i want to divorce my husband because i'm not happy here they were like no don't divorce if you're going to divorce you're going to be shaming my family right now so you gotta suck it up and leave there you know please him please her like or their mother-in-law like be this, this was the woman him. this was the woman who was pregnant who got beaten up yeah she heard those words before oh, she got beaten yeah. up you know yeah so she didn't have a courage to leave, you know, and my mom didn't, didn't know. And my mom was the oldest child. So she calls my mom and she says, I lost the baby. She, I mean, the whole, new, she had a yeah. whole mess, you know. So my mom had to actually like divorce them and take care of her. She lived with us for a while until she took care of herself, you know. It was like a whole mess growing up, like knowing that abuse was normal. That's what we thought. And th what they say is back home, even my dad told me a couple of years ago, <laughs> Saying that, oh, as long as the guy doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, you should be fine. You know, wow. I was like, what? As long as you don't smoke, you don't drink, you're good. You know. So, wow. yeah, it was a. Uh, it's a growing up on that part. Like that's, it was normal. Even my dad. I mean, I'm grateful to my dad. I love my dad. Like, if not my dad, I wouldn't be like who I am today because he raised that ambitious, like, stubbornness in me. Like saying. You don't, you don't look back. You just go forward, you know, but even him, like, you know, he wasn't the perfect husband for my mom. Like, you know, he wasn't, my mom wanted to divorce him several times, you know, but unfortunately she couldn't because she didn't have a support. She supported everybody, but nobody supported her, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like. This is, this is, this is really 
I appreciate you sharing all this and 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 going into details about it and um you know as a father myself just kind of thinking about this is it's really it's wild to think about you know growing up in this kind of situation and 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 thinking about a young girl having to in your own words you know sit outside in 32 degree weather you know while her dad lets it all out um and and that becoming the norm and then society telling you essentially that you have no choice uh just because of this you know perception of of honor and respect um it's absolutely like it's it's mind blowing uh but it's also very insightful to the audience here to understand that we're living in in a in a unique opportunity uh where we don't have to deal with this here um and you know the, the again your book is extremely it goes really in depth um and it it's 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 graphic in a sense uh with regards yeah. to your your experience and my question is is it a societal thing or was this something within your family yeah okay um I will say one thing, I never been beaten or abused. So yeah. I'm good. I raised in yeah. the world. My dad took care of like he never did that to me. But yeah. I think it is growing up, I mean, I saw it. Like even this morning, I was getting ready to come yeah. here and talk to you. And I remember like my when I was in the kindergarten, my nanny, you know, do you yeah. call it nanny in kindergarten? Yeah. Um she was she and her daughter worked in a different places, but in the same area you know and i remember she was beating her daughter in front of 50 kids mm. and all the co-workers and i don't know what her daughter did but she was beating her up you know and calling her names her own daughter you know and i think it is societal i don't want to take responsibility sure. for the whole i don't want to generalize it you know or narrow yeah. it down but i from my personal experience i will say that it is societal i'm sure there is good people too but all i saw it was cheating and abuse you mm. know husbands cheat and abuse their wives you know mm. um i don't know about women but like that's what i all i saw you know because in back home like woman has to be submissive you know that's yeah. what we grow up in yeah you know it's your story is 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 there's so many different elements <laughs> and i i keep trying to think about like the direction here right like you um you found a way out of a societal structure that wanted to have you as an individual bound in so many different ways. You know, whether it was the way that you thought, whether it was the way that you uh, approached um, your future in work, in relationships, in education. Um, and, um, you know, you talk about the influence and and you know i keep going back to the story about you know you here and and getting the call to go back home um what would the title of your book be <laughs> i mean i haven't thought about that far you know for me it's like right now what i back in my mind what i'm thinking is like to turn this dark story into the positive story because it is positive you know like yeah. i am i'm grateful i'm blessed but i mean of course something marketing from marketing point something catchy but yeah. i think i would say 
the most blessed person in the world. Like I feel the most blessed woman, like as a girl, woman, you know, female in the entire world. I'm so blessed, you know, that that's how I consider myself. So probably something to do with the blessing, I will call it, or ambition, you know, like something like that. I don't, I haven't thought about it. So you just put no, me in no, corner. I, I, I don't. I I get that. No, I I want to get to the center of your story and what people should know about Mergen. And uh, despite the fact that, you know, for the sake of this podcast, we are leaving a lot of information out and rightfully so. Um, But given everything you have been through, you talk about how blessed you are right now. um, And how, despite the fact that your story is mired by darkness and, and darkness that a lot of us couldn't even imagine given where we, you know, grew up, you're smiling, you're laughing, you're optimistic. And, um, you know, you can only go up from here. And, you know, this is something that kind of rings home in a lot of conversations that I have with people, especially people um, who come from immigrant backgrounds, because you've probably seen the worst you're going to see at this point in your life. So anything from here on out is probably going to be something that you can handle. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, it's life. Like, you know, you have to accept the story. I think the worst thing for me was that um, back in two, three years ago, I think. uh, Well, so my mom had went, I mean, I I don't want to talk about too much about her because I didn't get permission to talk about her, you know, so I should be respectful, but she has gone through abuse, you know, Mm. and went through, when she went through, when she went through abuse, um, she lost a lot of health, you know, Mm. And a couple of years ago, when I was going through a darkest time in my life, mm-hmm. I think that was the darkest, darkest time in my life where, I mean, the pain that comes in through this, like through in this chest, I couldn't hold it, you know. And one day I'm, I'm getting a call from a brother saying, hey, Marjan, like, uh, we will need your help because mom has 24 hours left. Mm-hmm. The doctors tell us, like, she has 24 hours or she lives or she dies, you know. And for me, my mom and my brother are this, like, you know, and my host family, like my American family, these four people in my life, maybe five, like because of my best friend too. Like there's five people in my life. They're my foundation, you know, they're my love, you know, and some, if something happens to them, I will not be complete, you know? So when I heard that call saying you have mom 24 hours, so those 24 hours were the worst in my life, the darkest time in my life. Like I got into my knees and I started praying. Mm. I called my people that I knew and they sent me prayers. You know, I was like, I don't care. Like I need something to hold on to because I'm losing myself right now. I'm yeah. just ready to leave myself this world if my mom leaves, because there's no reason for me to leave, you know? Mm. And that's when, that was the hardest part. And thankfully through my friends, through connections, I was able to send money to home. You know, and we were able to save her life. But that was the lowest. And now, like, when I go through stuff, when I go through life, it's not that bad. Because I know one thing, everything passes, and this pass, this is going to pass through, pass, uh, pass also, you know. And I have a bracelet that I didn't wear it today. But, like, when I go through something, I made, when I was working for Diamond District, like, I made, mm. I was uh, doing engraving. I wrote in this bracelet on top of it, I wrote sunrise mm. because I like sunrise. I'm a morning person. Mm. But on, on the other side, I wrote in Russian language, 
saying everything passes, this shall pass too. Mm. You know, and every time when I went through struggles, I always it's it's right in my wrist. You know, like I always yeah. look at it, and I, it helps me to go through. It's it's a reminder that I'm not the only one who goes through these things. I'm not the only one who struggles. I think everybody has their own journey. Like we come to this world to go through what we go through. And the reason why I'm smiling is because I'm so loved. Like anywhere I walk in, like I always get so much love. And I'm like, why wouldn't I have, why would I be so happy and grateful? Because I should be grateful. Like look at my life right now, even though I am struggling still, you know, like I'm still going through changes and everything, but still I have people who love me the most. And if I tell them today, like, Hey, I'm changing. When I changed my, like literally in the middle of May, right before we met, I quit my job. Mm. I came to work. It was a toxic place. I went through something and I went to my HR and I said, I'm putting my two weeks in, you know, I didn't have plans. I, you know, like nothing. Mm. And once I made that decision, I made that decision on my emotions, you know? Yeah. And I called my mom. I called my host family. I called my best friend. I was like, I'm quitting. And they were like, all right, we're here for you. You know? And I'm like, who has that chance? Like, I'm so grateful for that, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's a, how to go. It's a, it's a blessing, you know, feeling loved, uh, feeling cared. Like if I, if right now, if I pick up a phone and call one of my friends, close friends and be like, Hey, I really need your help. I know they will show up for me. You know, mm. uh, and but in order to understand that, in order to go through that, I had to go through a lot of darkness of understanding <clears throat> who are actually people care for me. You know, like yeah. uh, three, four years ago, I cut off a lot of people from my life. Yeah. I literally cut off. I, I moved even to New York, you know, mm. um, I just wanted to get rid of the people that people who are just taking in from me and not giving me back, you know? So I got to the point right now, I don't talk to anybody. I only talk to my people that I know and that I can't, I care for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Where were, where were, what was the question? No, no, no. That, that was so beautifully said. I definitely did not want to interrupt you there. And, um, I, I just love listening to you speak because I'm thinking a couple of things as you say this, you know, I don't know if, if you um, think about being a mother one day, but if you do, am. you I are am. going, you are going to make a wonderful no. mother. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I can tell Thank just you. based on, you know, how you are um, taking in some of these life lessons and how you are um, positioning them for yourself. And I can only imagine that kind of influence on, on a child one day. Um, I hope so. Your your perspective so. your perspective is is deep, um, and it, it the way that it drives you right now um, is something that you know I respect a lot. And and another thing is, you know, you don't really talk about this, but I will. Your strength, like you have a resiliency and strength that <laughs> I don't think has been really even put on display throughout this recording. Um, you know, you're not. <laughs> you know, you're not intimidating by look, but inside you're definitely a tough cookie, like to say the least. <laughs> I don't think anyone, like, I don't think anyone would presume it, but you're not someone that anyone wants to mess with. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Now she's laughing. Um, and that's because, again, because you know how it works, right? Like you've yeah. seen, um, you've seen manipulation, you've seen, oh, yeah. um, 
You've seen people taken advantage of. You've seen uh, a broken down system and you've worked around. I mean, it all goes back to when those security guards, you know, pulled you aside as a young girl and asked you, uh, like, what are you doing? And and you knew how to answer that question. And, you know, as someone who has been working in sales for a long time professionally, and even as someone like myself building a platform and continuing to sell it and 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 grow it, um, I can't help but admire uh, how you. you how you approach those day to day conversations. It all goes back to even when you met my wife, right? Like yeah. something really kind of stood out about how you approach that conversation. It was around the perspective of, um, you know, there are grander things in this life than the immediate sale or the uh, immediate satisfaction. Um, and, and that stands out a lot because you have many reasons to dwell. You had many reasons to give up. You had many reasons to walk away. And honestly, to live the life that perhaps others wanted to influence you to live. Uh, but you keep pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this takes me into the next portion of this interview where I want to talk about specifically um, your career journey. Uh, I know mm-hmm. you started out and you know it's crazy to think this, right? You were in a country that a lot of people you know, wouldn't even recognize here, have heard about, but wouldn't recognize. And then all of a sudden, you ended up at Beverly Hills Lamborghini and Bentley. <laughs> I'm so, telling you, I'm blessed. <laughs> so we didn't even mention that earlier. So let's talk about that that yeah. part really quick. How did you end up in Beverly Hills? I'll tell you. Before I tell you that, I just want to talk about a little bit about the father figure in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did grow up with my father, but he will, emotionally he wasn't healthy. You know, like he's an unhealthy person emotionally, even though he was good dad. But I never heard from him saying "I love you." I never heard him. He would show it with actions. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't strong enough, you know, and I've come, I'm coming from a genes of, uh, or like a background of woman from my mom's side, like we're all are very tough cookies, like we're very strong. My grandma, she raised like five kids on her own, working mm-hmm. in three jobs, you know, and my mom, like when she, she, her dad died in her hands, they were walking to school, he had a heart attack, and he just collapsed in her hands. Wow. Like at the age of 16, going through that trauma, you know, and, um, but I'm so grateful that I was able to forgive my dad. And I started, and the healing started back in 2017, I think, like uh, six years now. You know, healing started back then. I started forgiving him and everything. But I'm also very, I just want to say very grateful. I am very blessed. You know, I have another dad in my life. This is my host family, American American family. They're my another family. Like, you know, none but, uh, we, we always joke like, you know, a bl- family doesn't need to be blood, you know. Yeah. It has to be heart and they're in my heart. And this person, he messages me twice a day saying good morning and good night. And he says, I love you. And mm-hmm. the way he loves me, the love that I receive, sure, like I'm so grateful. Like I I can't imagine without him anymore, you know, like because like the love he gives me and his wife Nancy, the love they give me, like the love they share with me. And why I'm smiling today is because of them, mm. you know, because they are there for me. If Oh my God. If I don't miss, message them, have, have a good night. Sometimes I forget, or sometimes I yeah. fell asleep beforehand, you know, exhausted or not in the mood. I just feel so guilty because they're worried about me, you know, like, and it's like, it feels good to have a 
people that really care for you. I think that helps you to be stay positive and that helps you to keep going. And at least for me, like that helps me to keep going forward because I have these two people who is right here. He's my home. You know, they're my home. Nancy's my home. You know, I, if, if I ever need to, if I change my mind, if I need to go home, I can go to LA, you know? Mm. Um, so that's what it is about my career. So how it started, um, in 2019, I graduated. I graduated late school because of a lot of reasons, you know. But I graduated at the age of 16. Wait, 26, and I came to move to LA because my host family, the Dr. Richardson and Nancy, they were like, "Well, we have a home for you. Welcome to LA," you know. So I was like, "Okay." I moved to LA, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was very like, you know, new graduate in the United States, in other country, my visa issues, you know, like I was waiting for my work authorization, all this dealing with UCIS is another, you know, uh, story. And um, they invited me, but I was applying for jobs, but I didn't get any luck and I didn't know what was happening. So what I like about them, they always push me to get out of home, to get out of my head and do something. So uh, I signed up to this, what is that called? I don't remember the organization, but it's a volunteer organization where you go and build houses for the families. Who need Habitat it. for Humanity? Yes, that's it. So I started volunteering and I'm a very handy person. I like doing things. I'm very artistic about that. Like I'm since I, I like doing those things, building and my brain is very happy when I do that. So I went there and I was just like helping and their friend um, from church her and I was doing it together because she was going there and she, we, after our, our, after working all day together and talking, she was like, Hey, like I have a friend who owns this, um, the company that helps you to get jobs. What is that? I don't remember the name of it right now, but, um, huh. you know, like a, recruit, and, like a recruiting agency. Yes. Recruiting agency, but part-time, you know, okay. full-time. Okay. I was like, and she was like, while you're getting for a job, like maybe you could work for her. It's going to be some kind of income. And I was like, sure, let's do it. You know? And I remember, uh, she introduced me to her and the lady got impressed by my story, you know, because the friend of, uh, my host family, she talked about my story. And when I met her and she was like, oh my gosh, she's like, I want to help you. Uh, people like you, it's very rare that I meet. And she was like, I will open up the doors for you. Uh, but I will open up in a one of uh, high end places. And mm. I had no idea those days. I didn't even know anything about cars, nothing, you know, no, nothing about luxury, no brands, nothing. You know, she was like, I will open up the doors for you. You choose. And it's up to you to make it or not to make it. I was like, okay. I was like, you just give me, I'll do it. You know? Mm. So she opened up to me several company doors, you know, and uh, surprisingly I had a couple of companies. Well, as a weekend person, um, for Bentley Lamborghini, I worked as a weekend receptionist on Saturdays, you know. And then there was another company that I they she sent. It was luxury, um, also another luxury company. I also worked for them for a couple of days, you know, and I was juggling here and there. And then the moment I walked into Bentley, those people there, I call them my Wilshire family because it's located on the Wilshire Street. Um, the moment I walked in, everybody was so open, like welcoming, you know, and I didn't expect from such a like luxury high-end place people to be so friendly because yeah. usually you expect them to be stuck up you know yeah here they are they're like oh marjan let me help you let me do this here sweetie you know like they were so sweet and adorable and like so welcoming so i fell in love with it 
But the moment, the day I walked in, um, the first day I didn't do anything because I was getting used to it. You know, sure. the second Saturday I came in, it was so disorganized. And I'm very like uh, organized person. I like when it's organization. Yeah. Um, I mean, natu- by nature, I'm an event planner. So I like everything sure. to be, you know, A, B, C, D. So I came in and I was like, all right, guys. And those days I was even more, a bit more, you know, um, outgoing. I came and I was like, and I have this personality where I'm like, I don't care what you think about me, but this is my opinion, you know? Mm. So I was like, this is disorganized. I'm going to clean up everything and I'm going to organize everything. So I organized everything. And then by the end of the day, the, uh, the Bentley manager, Adam Garvey, he's my heart. He walks out and he's like, I want to hire you, you know, mm. or maybe after two weeks, I don't remember. Like he was like, I want to hire you. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, Adam, <laughs> <laughs> I would love you to be hired. You know, like in, he ended up hiring me for the job, you know? And then after a while I was like, Hey, like, I was like, how about if we switch my job to, um, sales, uh, sales assistant, you know? So I never did sales in cars, but I did assist them, sure. you know, for car deliveries. And that's where I learned all these brands, you know, and Beverly Hills opened up to me, um, in a very cool way, you know, in a very, like, I saw all these 1% of the world, how they live and what they do. It know? sounds like a movie, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, again, it really does sound like a movie. Uh, and um, it was a cool experience, you know. Yeah. I was driving Bentleys and Rolls Royce, and I mean, the only thing they didn't try, trust me to drive it was McLaren, so I didn't get to that point, you know. Everything else I drove, and it's just a joke. Uh, one of my, I call him my mentor. His name is Sander. He's one of the best sellers. Um, he used to take me to deliver the cars and everything. And one day he let me drive uh, one of the cars. I don't remember what car was it, but then it was like mechanic, you know, like yeah. where you have to do, and I don't know how to drive mechanic car. Yeah. And he was like, he, I made him so mad. He was like, Marjan, he's like, this pandemic happened just for you to learn how to drive in LA. <laughs> that was the best joke I ever heard about, you know, That's about so pandemic. Funny. Um, yeah. So I'm so grateful for that, but I had to leave that job because um, there uh, I had to update my visa, you know, in the middle of everything sure. in pandemic uh, and uh, laws changed, everything changed. Uh, then I end up the general manager of the company. He decided to move to Texas, you know, open his own dealership and own businesses, you know, and I kind of was like, all right, like I was like, I'll go with you, you know. And ended up working with him here and there, helping him, you know, and I ended up building the whole dealership with him, which was a fun experience, uh, which I lived in Texas for a couple of months, you know. But then I realized that um, I wasn't ready for his type of personality mm. to work with. Um, and that was like one of my darkest days in my life, mm. you know. And one of the things that I had to go through was very uh, emotionally hard. But I'm really grateful for that experience because... Through that experience, I was able to find the strength. The strength, and through that experience, I was able to stand up for myself and say, "I'm done. I'm leaving." You know. Can I pause you really there and yeah. ask you? Was your earlier experiences in life did they help empower you to make this decision easier? You know, to leave. You know, when deciding to leave, um, you know, the, the the region where you grew up and the expectations there and the um, the pressures of society over there, that had to have been very, very tough at the time to make that decision. <laughs> Did that help make this decision a little bit easier? 
you know, making the decision of leaving the country was not a tough decision, to be honest. Okay. Because that was something, it was illusion. It was delusional. I wanted to do it. Like I was that 18 year old, 18 year old, uh, rose uh, what is that called rose colored glasses on like i want i want to see the world like i had that ambition you know there was no tough decision the biggest tough decision was is when i left uh, when the toughest time of that whole journey of leaving turkmenistan was that when i got to the airplane yeah my airplane was taking off well first my dad never cries you know and that day when i saw him last time which was 2013 december 15th, I think that's when I saw him last. Huh. He cried mm. when I said goodbye. That was hard. I was like, why are you crying? But okay, mm. you know. And I knew that I wouldn't see them for 10 years. Like I knew it, you know. And yeah. I'm so grateful for my parents to prepare me. I just didn't know how hard it's gonna be, you know. Yeah. I just knew it, but I didn't know how hard it's gonna be. And getting into that airplane and from the window, and I sat by the window, you know, and I sat down and I saw how I was flying away from my city and knowing Mm. that I will never come back. Mm. Like I had one tear coming down saying goodbye, you know, and that was like a toughest time I would say, you know, but it wasn't that tough. If there are any Hollywood producers listening to this episode, (laughs) (laughs) she's definitely painting the perfect picture. Um, No, I, 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 let's go back to Texas and then making the decision now to, yeah, to leave that uh, that professional relationship, um, yeah. You know, when we met, I could tell you're you know in the process of of building yourself professionally, and you're positively relentless in the sense that um, you already know you're going you're going to succeed. You're just you know figuring out. The, <laughs> yeah, you're just figuring out the pieces in the meantime, and I feel like. Um, the journey has is, is just been really, really insightful. If you know me, you know that I like to look good and feel good. As an endurance athlete who trains daily, I need my wardrobe to fit the mold. Roan creates performance-driven clothing for your active lifestyle. Each piece is designed for versatility and made with integrity to outfit you for an active life lived on your own terms. The Roan promise is to help you move forever forward. Use code MILE40 for 20% off online and in-store for new customers only. Visit www.rhone.com, that's Rhone spelled R-H-O-N-E, or find your local store and move forever forward starting today. So you leave Beverly Hills, um, you move to Texas, you help build this dealership, then what happens? So the way I decided to leave the Texas was that I think I'm that type. I I'm a very stubborn person. Once I, I once I know what I want, that's it. Nothing can stop me, you know. But at the same time, on that place, it was enough. Was enough. Like I don't get easily. I mean, I get frustrated, but I don't get angry because mm. if I get angry, it's not a good thing. Like I can destroy the whole, thing, you know. But yeah. I never do that. Like I I have like that anger inside of me, you know. If I have to. But other than that, like, I don't allow myself to get angry, you know, and I'm very patient with people. I'm very patient with situations, you know, and I got to the level of disrespect towards myself to the level that I couldn't hold it anymore. You know, I was like, what do you think you are? You know, I got so mad at that, that, I mean, I got, I don't want to say too many bad things because I do respect the person. I'm really grateful for that person, Mm -hmm. but 
him joking saying, "Oh, I thought you just got out of boat yesterday." You know, got uh, off the that boat. Guy, yeah, that kind of joke I heard. You know, oh, towards boy. myself, and I didn't say anything. You know, I was like, okay, like I was like, maybe it's a bad joke. I don't know. Like everybody has this weird sense of humor. I was like, whatever, you know. But I did. I didn't take it too personal. But I was. It was still back in my yeah. mind. That kind of. That kind of like, you know, like did to my ego. Not that ego will grind hard, your. Like, that will grind your yeah, gears. I, was like, I mean. I was like, yeah, I mean that that's highly inappropriate to say. Yeah, outright. so when he said that, I was like, "Wait a second! Just because we're son of a millionaire, just because you were able to get everything easily, I mean, he was um, he wasn't inter- interested in women, so I was yeah. easy. It was good for me to be with him because yeah. I didn't feel I mean, there was no. It was only professional. There was relationship, no threat you know? there. Yeah, yeah, it was only professional relationship we had and friendship. I would say, you know, and so him saying that, and then. There was many more disrespects towards me. And I'm like, here I am, like living LA, you know, yes, I'm going through stuff right now. I'm waiting for my documents and everything. I'm like, even then you should not be disrespecting me like that. You know, yeah. I did everything on my own, like every everything that I have achieved and I have achieved a lot of things for myself, like for yeah. my own personal proudness, good job, you know, I have achieved with my own hard work. You know, yeah. I never had a daddy or a mommy who helped me with anything, you know, yeah. even when I was, I couldn't even walk. Like I would get sick and I couldn't even walk to the kitchen. Yeah. I I would call home and my parents were like, Marjan, you can't do this. Yeah. You're there's no way back to you. You know, like we cannot be there for you. You have to do it yourself. That's what they would used to tell me, like on Skype. And that was kind of like um he made me so angry one day that like I never seen myself screaming and yelling. Mm. I never thought that I have like a high voice like that, you know, <laughs> because I'm very like a- and you know I'm, i can be outgoing but not like that screaming you know yeah. i thought like i have a calm voice you know and here it was and after that that moment i decided i was like you know what whatever happens happens i'm leaving hmm. and i was buying a ticket to la because i have a home in la you know hmm. but in that moment my best friend called me and she was like why don't you come to new york you can hmm. get a job here stay with me you know she's like i have a bedroom so grateful to my best friend I was like, she was like, one, buy one way ticket and you can always go back to LA. You know, yeah. I was like, you're right. You know, so I left a lot of winter clothes. I only came with one suitcase, I think, in one bag. Mm. I left all of my clothes, everything. I only brought summer clothes to New York. And she was able to find me a job. I mean, she, while I was staying with her one week, two weeks, three weeks, you know, and everything, she was able to get me a job interview in Diamond District here because she was like, well, because I do um, sketching of clothing and jewelry here and there. Um, and I really was into like, I have a lot of like dresses and sketches and everything. I haven't posted that yet or I haven't uh, connect, like showed it to anyone yet. And she was like, you're into artistic stuff. She was like, well, I want you to go to the jewelry place. Like, and you're good at sales. She didn't know what was the job. She was like, just go yeah. and check it out. You know? So I go to this interview. I walk into these two guys in Diamond District and I had no idea, you know, and I was broken by then. Like I was broken emotionally. I was broken any possible way you can imagine. I was the only walking person. How are you doing financially at that point? Horrible. Huh. <laughs> I was, I was negative 600, negative 1000, you know, I was in a, 
horrible situation you can imagine because all of my savings, all of my money was gone to my family. Mm. Well, not a lot to my family, but to my documents as well, mm. you know? Yeah. And living in big cities is not, and not when I worked in, yeah. And when I worked in Texas, it wasn't like, I didn't get salary much, you know, it sure. wasn't salary based. Um, so yeah, I ended up getting a job in Diamond District and we were making uh, jewelry for Hair Winston. So I learned the quality control part of jewelry for Hair Winston. And it was like, here I am working again with the luxury stuff, you know, it was like interesting, you know, it's like, this is a really interesting thing. Like I attract luxury into my life, you know. Um, but then I left those guys uh, last year, summer. And I was mm. thinking to move back to LA again. So I went mm. back to LA just to see how, because I still have my stuff there too, even nowadays. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I went there to spend some time with my host family for a month and stuff. And then uh, the, the company, um, advertising company called me and they contacted me. They said, hey, we want to hire you. Like, can you go through interview? And I started going through interview and then end up getting the job here in New York again. Mm. So my decision was like, wait a second, like every time when I'm trying to go to LA, something is holding me, me back. Yeah. Yes. I was like, huh, like New York City wants me to be here. And I'm very like connected to myself. I'm very self, like I understand, like, and I, now I'm really working on my understanding fully my body, you know, because our body and mind and virtual everything is connected. So I was like, huh, like my body says yes to it. Like my mind says yes, my heart says yes to it. So let me do it, you know. So I started doing that job. And then I wasn't happy in that job because it turned out to be a little toxic there. So in May, I quit that job. But for past three years, I have been searching deep down, saying, Marjan, what do I want to do in life? What is it that I have passion for? You know, in the past three years, I have been evaluating on what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses. And throughout the different jobs, I figured out my weaknesses and my strength. And my strength was selling. I love selling. and not selling just to make money or something selling is it's just it's fun it's like a dancing you know like you yeah. get to know people and like as you talked i connected with your wife christine you know i love talking to her i was like opening up my life to her you know when i would talk in her background and everything you know it was a lovely like i always meet wonderful people you know so i love selling and i was like what do i want to sell i was like cars no i don't want, i don't care about cars you know even though i do care about fun part oh. but no Jewelry, it's great. I love it. I'm still, that's why I cannot leave the jewelry company that I work for, Love World, you know. But I was like, I think really said it is, like, because I don't want to be just selling, but I want to be selling and renting and helping people to find home. Mm. Because deep down right now, in, in, in this part of my life, at this moment in my life, I'm missing home, mm. you know. I'm missing a place that I belong to, you know. Yeah. And uh, I was like, that witness or the i don't know the soft side of me that really really wants home mm. i can use that as a helping people other people to find a home other people to find happiness you know through their home so now i'm waiting for my test results <laughs> i hope i'll pass it yeah, and that's, um that's really beautiful yeah um, thank you yeah i mean look the story comes full circle um and it continues on because I think your story is far from over, over. Um, and I think there's going to be a, a lot more um, positive impact along the way because you learned too much not to share. 
you learned. Have to be careful. <laughs> you learned way too much throughout your life's journey, um, through your personal experiences, not to be able to positively impact, um, you know, those who you come across, um, and. You know, a lot of times I ask people who come on the show, you know, if there are any main sources of influence, whether it's people they've come across, whether it's books that they've read. Um, I don't necessarily want to ask you a question like that because I feel like you've continued to inspire yourself as you continue to uncover more and more about who you are and what where your strengths lie um, and and really doubling in on your areas where you can drive impact for yourself and for, for those um, around you. Um, you know, we I, I I asked you about what you would name the title of your book, and I wasn't expecting you know an exact answer. Uh, but I keep going back to the fact that um, you you really are um looking at these darker moments as uh inflection points of opportunity. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No. I think the darkest side of the darkest part of our lives is the moment when you actually get to know yourself. Like I got to know myself and truly today I love myself. Like I care for myself. I like myself. I am my best friend. You know, I, I'm such a extrovert, but I can be also such an introvert because I don't mind going and spending five hours with myself. And I love that, you know, and if I don't do that, I feel like I left myself out, you know, the darkest days of my life, helped me to know who I am, you know, helped me to find what are my values, helped me to know, understand what kind of partner I want by myself, what kind of friendships I want by myself, what kind of uh, work family I want to have right now. Like I finally, like I finally found and met these people and I'm surprised in real estate, you know, like I work with wonderful people. They really want me to be successful, you know? And I'm like looking at that, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so blessed to be here, you know? And through that, I think the darkest times help us to understand and shape us who we are. It helps us to understand who we are here by heart, what are our values, and what do we want in life, you know? Because now I know what I don't want, you know? And I know, and through that I don't want, I learned what I want, you know? What I want family, I want home, you know? I want successful career, like friendships and connections, you know? I want to be able to impact the world. You know, I want to be hopefully one day, like I always say to everybody, and I think it's my first time speaking out loud to a lot of your listeners. I really hope one day in this, if I will be able to make that dream come true, I can die anytime with the saying, I'm grateful for this life. I'm ready to go to another adventure with my soul. You know, I want to open, I really hope there's going to be any, some kind of orphanage or a school for the kids that has, don't have the chances like a lot of people who their parents have and help them to give them opportunities to be healthy, to heal because of a lot of traumas and connect that school with lots of schools in the world and make sure to open up scholarships for those kids, you know, orphan kids or kids from the war, you know, the kids from the families that cannot afford, like, you know, because I have been there, like I have grown up. There was nights when I growing up, like my parents couldn't afford the food my dad would boil the water and he would give this three-day-old very tough like bread and he would be like guys look how blessed we are we have a boiled water tonight and we have a bread let's enjoy it tonight like you know so no growing up and knowing those things like i really hope one day i'll be able to open up opportunities for other kids 
for other children and women and guys, boys, men, doesn't matter, for people to achieve and live the life they want to because, you know, I'm blessed to have what I have right now. I can't tell you the uh, the <laughs> kinds of emotions that I'm going through just hearing you speak, Marjan. I, I hope I, I hope I did your story some justice today. I really do. I feel like you know, there's just so much about you that's special, that's touching, that's influential and inspirational. Um, and I, I know, you know, this is the first time you've really shared your story publicly, and. I sincerely hope that you know Mile Forty did a good job of of helping the audience understand um, how you shaped yourself to become the person that you are. Um, how you've um, really reflected on the darker moments in your life and and turned them into moments of hope and you know ambition and not only ambition for yourself but ambition to make an impact. Um, and so I just want to say thank you, thank you for coming on to Mile Forty. It was a sincere pleasure having you on today. Um, I have no doubt that you know th there's just so many takeaways from this and um this is the type of episode that people could listen to over and over and over again. Oh, so thank you for thank coming you so on board. Much. Really 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 thank you. I really want to appreciate I mean I, when I met you I didn't even think about all these things you know. I was like oh you write a book. I'm like I was like oh, I need someone who helps me to write a book, you know. Um thank you so much for having me here. Um it really helps me to um look like from outside to my own story. So thank you for helping me to reflect on it, you know. And I really want to appreciate also that note card you sent me saying, welcome to the Mile 40 family. Nice. <laughs> I really, really, really appreciate that. So I'm looking forward um, to, uh, to be in touch with you and meet your family again. You thank got you it. so much. Thank you. Welcome to the Mile 40 Podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, author of Break Barriers, How Setbacks Can Dare You Rather Than Define You, which is sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journeys. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback.